Coast is home to covered wagons, cowpokes, and country bears. Live on the Walt Disney World Railroad, it's your boots on the ground. Fish Sean Wu from Orlando, Florida. And you're getting ready to listen to a new episode of the Enchanted Tiki Tech Podcast with Keith Allen and Sean. Or is it Sean Allen and Keith? Hashtag Tiki Side. Roll them! We've reached Frontierland, so sit tight until we come to a complete stop. Vahini Mekioni Mana, ladies and gentlemen. No flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. Oh, look at all the people. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the glee club. <laughs> Hey, howdy, hey, and thank you for joining us here on Enchanted Tiki Talk. We are your hosts. I'm Sean. I'm Alan. I'm Keith. So grab yourself a Dole Whip, pull up a chair, and enjoy the show. This is episode 62 for the week of December 28th, 2014. We hope everyone had a great Christmas and you are getting ready to ring in the new year. So to prepare for that, we're going to discuss the year in review with some of the big news stories that came out of Disney in 2014. We're also going to talk about what we are looking forward to come uh, 2015. So uh, on this week's show, we have brought on two fellow Disney podcasters, Disney lovers, to join us and discuss some of these topics. Uh, one, I have uh, Dan from WDW Park Hopper. Say hi, Dan. Hello, everybody. This is Dan. And uh, we have Josh from Modern, one half of Modern, Modern Mouse Radio. Hey, Josh. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks, guys, for coming on. And like I said in the, the beginning, we're going to discuss some of the, the top news stories that come out of Disney. But first, why don't you guys introduce yourself, introduce yourself to our audience and, um, you know, just tell everybody about your, your passion and love for Disney. Sure. Yeah, Dan. You want me to go first? This is Dan yeah. um, at WD, W Park Upper. I fell in love with Disney when I, uh, back in 2005, my wife and I adopted a little girl from the Ukraine, and we thought we would take her to Disney kind of as a, uh, a rite of passage as a child. And uh, my wife planned the trip, and I was like, yeah, whatever, it's just a big amusement park, I don't really care. And when I got there, it was so much more. It was amazing. I was just over come with um, the whole experience and how Disney just pulls you into the story, creates just a, a truly a magical place to be. From the fireworks to the food to just the, the, the four different parks, uh, I was just hooked. So I started listening to podcasts and planning my next trip and I haven't looked back since. And how many times have you been to Disney since then? You know, I, I lost count at seven. It's probably upwards of 12 to 13 or so. Okay, so it's a good amount. So you're, you're a seasoned veteran by now. Yeah, I'm still learning a lot, but I'd like to think so, yeah. And you have a, a real uh, interesting uh, podcast as opposed to, you know, most Disney podcasts out there. It's, I mean, you literally just walk through the park and you bring everybody the, the sounds of the park themselves, whether you're, you know, walking down Main Street USA, you know, you'll, you'll interject with some, um, some, some things that are happening around you. But it's really interesting because you literally, it's like being with you as you walk through the parks without really having to be there. So it's a nice premise for a show. Yeah, thank you. I, you know, I stole the idea from a guy named Jeff. Uh, he called himself Jeff from Houston. And he had a, um, a podcast called The Meandering Mouse, and he would yep. do that. I'd listen to it all the time at work. And when he stopped, I was like, shoot, I, I really missed that. It was a nice escape during my lunch hour or whatever in the car. So I just picked up the, the, the mantle and ran with it. And I had a blast doing it. So it's been fun. Yeah, it's glad to see that 
you know somebody picked that up and is doing that again because I know that there's one on the west coast for, for Disneyland there's uh, one or two podcasts that do that but yeah they're the first one for Disney World that I've seen so you know that's great and I love listening to it so keep up the great work thank you sir you're welcome so Josh um, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your podcast uh, Modern Mouse Radio or as you pronounced it Modern Mouse Radio uh, <laughs> we, we started this stuff wrong all the time just go with it uh, we started two, two and a half years ago, uh, but really my background from Disney comes from since the day I was born. Uh, I live in Denver, which is nowhere near either park, but uh, I grew up on all the Disney movies. I'm an 80s kid, so I kind of came up uh, right in that area of the Disney renaissance, and uh, I remember going to the movies and always uh, seeing the, the next great Disney film, and then my family and I would take a road trip every year to every other year, it depended, uh, to Disneyland and back. So I've always been kind of a Disneylander more than a Walt Disney Worlder. I've definitely done my fair share of Disney World trips. When I really fell in love is after college, and I'm a huge lover of history. And so kind of watching documentaries, watching different things, realizing, oh, yeah, like I really always liked Disney but knowing the backstories to a lot of these things, listening to Imagineers talk about the parks, uh, seeing documentaries about Walt Disney, just got me more and more interested. And I started digging myself into this hole, eventually getting into podcasts, websites, uh, YouTubers, all that kind of stuff before eventually starting my own thing uh, with Keith Lappenig and then eventually bringing, who's now my fiance, Angie, into it as well. So the three of us kind of run the website we not only do the podcasts, we do videos, articles, uh, all kinds of stuff. So we're just kind of knees deep or even further deep in than we probably ever thought we'd be. But that's our site, yeah. You know, the beauty of your your podcast, it's like the old Disney show, the old Musketeer show. It's like anything can happen today. So your topics could be, you know, your episodes are completely different from week to week. You know, you'll have, you know, stories that Walt, have, Walt, has, Walt has told or top ten you know, Disney heroines or armchair Imagineering or, or news, you know, you, so you run the gamut. So you do a lot of different things. You don't necessarily just concentrate on the parks, but you're all over too. Yeah. I mean, and maybe that's because of my not no, maybe a couple of things here and a, not really knowing what our show was going to be. So we just kind of threw a bunch of stuff at the wall and it all kind of stuck. So we were like, well, let's, I guess do all of this. And then uh, the other part of it being that we knew so many other shows and we kind of took, really the best of all the shows that we saw out there. And we're kind of like, yeah, let's do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. So uh, I feel like every show you listen to, we may have stolen an idea or two, but we've kind of made it our own thing. So, yeah. <laughs> I like that show. Yeah, it's a good show. I enjoy listening to it. I listen every week, so... You know, it's it's uh, both uh, both the both your guys' shows are are definitely worth listening to. You know, so it, it, any kind of Disney fan is going to enjoy it. So give it a listen. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. So uh, let's get into the the meat of the show. Like I said, it's going to be the year in review or ear in review. This week we're going to have Alan moderate for our topics here. So Alan, you take it away. All right. Thanks, Sean. Well, first topic uh, we're going to lead off kind of going chronologically as close as we can so we're going to go back to the beginning of 2014 uh, with the announcement of show your disney side uh, which was a social media campaign uh, originally it was a contest that you could you could actually win something from disney but it's a you know just a contest to social media campaign to show your disney side you know what do you and your family do when you go to disney or when you're outside of the parks what do you do to to show that you're a disney fan so 
you know, what do you guys what do you guys think about the show your Disney side campaign? Initially, I thought that this was like a ridiculous concept. After the past few years, and especially uh, everybody kind of looks at the year of a million dreams as being like, that was the year when we got like the really good stuff. And then Show Your Disney Side showed up and we were all kind of like, what even is this? Uh, but it was really Disney's chance to kind of step away from the limelight and let its fans kind of, you know, do whatever they wanted to do. And, uh, you know, they've been able to either retweet or regram, repost, whatever. They've kind of used their social media to... I guess not really, you know, they don't promote anybody. They don't go, oh, look who posted this, and then they add their thing. But they definitely uh, have shown other people's pictures. They've definitely added their own twist on different things uh, from what people like. And eventually, at the end of this year, I kind of have to say that the hashtag show your Disney side was a success. If it was just a moderate success, at least it was a way to, at least for me as a podcaster or as somebody to add that hashtag to my website, and I definitely got more traffic because of it. Uh, so I know that it was successful, at least on my part, and I'm sure every other Disney podcast or website's part, um, they saw some growth because of it as well. So it was kind of a nice thing to see the fans and the fan websites grow out of that. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, I think the fans got connected for the first time. It's always been a situation where you're going to Disney and you're going to see what the park has prepared. But for the first time, I think I noticed Show Your Disney Side was the Halloween party when uh, all these people were, were tweeting out, you know, Show Your Disney Side, and you could connect with them and saying, hey, I like those characters. Um, I like that costume. I, 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 you know, show our Disney side that way. And it's a really great chance for the fans to connect. I thought it was a big hit. I'm kind of like you. I thought at first, though, what the heck is this? This is just a big marketing campaign just for Disney. But, again, I think it was really great for the fans. I'm a parks guy, so I'm always going to come at it from what it, what experience did that enhance in a park. And just seeing all the fans come together really did it for me. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I think that seeing the social media, and I don't actually think that Disney before this year even knew how to use social media. Yeah. And I think at the beginning of this year, they still didn't really know what the Show Your Disney Side thing was going to be until the fans kind of took it and used it. And they're like, okay, we'll just let them do it. I think a lot of fans latched on and we kind of all found each other. I know a lot of uh, different types of things. I, uh, one of the things I always reach out to... Uh, Leslie Kay, who's a good friend of our show, she's been on our show before, um, runs Disney Bound. And the Disney Bound name, I don't really remember seeing that much before 2013, but uh, Disney Bounding got really big this year because of fans, because of people dressing like the characters in the parks, um, because she was out there and because it was all fan-driven. And eventually, Disney latched onto her and her branding and Disney bound and actually brought her on to do some DVD things and a couple other things. So they really brought fans in for different things and, and different fan things that fans brought to the table and really kind of embraced that. So I like it. Yeah. You know, I thought the pinnacle of that was when they had the villains event at the studios and it was just overrun. Disney did not expect to have that amount of crowd. And I think the lines for some of the just character meets were, you know, three and four hours long. And I think it's just a testament to how the social media brought that to life. I feel like Dan and I took over your guys' show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Start talking, please. Well, no, it's fine. I agree. I mean, at first it was, was a video with the characters and just a big like hashtag, and I don't think like anybody knew exactly what it was or how it had worked, but it did 
evolved and it brought like fans in and I think any time that like fans can like speak their voice and stuff and show themselves and like be in the like family so to speak it's a good thing and I think as far as our show is too I mean like you said it really did put the spotlight with social media and Twitter and Facebook and it did like bring us a lot of traffic too so which is always good. I think it started off kind of slow and everybody was kind of like hesitant, but the people just took it and ran with it. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. You nailed it. Uh, next up, we're going to go back to early 2014. I, I know it was there when I went in February, but the uh, it really started late 2013, but it really rolled out early 2014. That's the uh, my Disney experience, specifically the Magic Bands, You know, being able to use those for, for your tickets and, and entry into your rooms. Uh, the new app, all of that. Josh, you don't get that on the West Coast, but you know maybe you have an opinion on it. Uh, you know, from an outsider who hasn't used it. Uh, I don't really have like an opinion. I I'm booking my next vacation to Walt Disney World for April, and I gotta say that it's been rough. Uh, even after however long, I, even in 2013, they were still beta testing it. I think at that point, uh, or at least that's what they were calling it. But I feel like they're getting there with it. I'm being patient with my process and booking my trip for April, but it has been a little difficult, especially with the app, the Maya Experience app. But the idea overall is going to enhance things in the long run. I think a lot of people jumped the shark in judging it uh, and coming up on saying, oh, yeah, this, why can't we just use the tickets? This was so much better this way. But as time goes on, I really see that this is a improvement more than it was uh, a downfall to the Fast Pass experience. I'm all for it. I'm a little frustrated, but I know in a couple of years, maybe it'll get much better. I couldn't agree more. I I, I think it's awesome. And I mean, Mike's my, my, I guess, strategy with touring the parks is kind of like setting up dominoes and knocking them down. And I just love to set up the dominoes knowing these are the events I'm going to do. These are the places I'm going to eat. The day comes, I have it all planned out, and I can just let it roll. Click that first domino and just have a blast in the parks. And my Disney experience allows me to do that. I love setting up the fast passes ahead of time. It stopped the mad rush to uh, some of the attractions in the in the mornings at least that I've noticed. Um, the other thing is like the Christmas party, when you go in now, you can just scan in, you get your wristband and off you go. Buying things makes it much easier to do that. Just the overall experience for the guest, I think is greatly improved. One funny story about that, when well, I took my family down and I'd planned to have a surprise in the room. So we get back to the room after a day at the Magic Kingdom and my daughter just goes running up to the door and there's a banner on the front that says surprise and she clicks her magic band and the door doesn't open. So my wife's like, here, you're doing it wrong. Let me do it. And she clicks her magic band. The door doesn't open. So 15 minutes later, here comes a cast member and they had to let us in. They finally got to see their surprise. But they, I think since worked out those glitches. Yeah, I've heard different stories about that as well, especially in 2013. People not being able to get into the parks because it wouldn't scan or people not being able to get into the rooms. But it seems like that has subsided. Uh, now the frustration tends to, what I see anyway, tends to be with the application and from my experience tends to be with the app, but over time I think the bugs will get worked out. I think that the social media mixing with all of that and being able to use your phone, use your computer, mix and match those things, you know, being able to post what you're doing, where you're going, 
And even though some people think it's crazy that they can basically tell exactly what you're doing at any point in the parks, it is kind of nice in case you need help. Uh, you know, they can pinpoint what you're doing, where you're at, and what you need. And if that makes my experience better, I'm all for it. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. See, now for me, I, I there's things that I like about it, and there's things that I don't like about it. I don't like the over-planning of it. I don't, I've accepted that at six months, at the six-month mark, I have to go and make my dining reservations. I understand that. The problem that I have is, you know, come the, the 60-day window, the, the 30, whatever, two-month window to book your fast passes. You know, that's where the, the over-planning comes in, and I don't like that aspect of it, especially on my most recent trip with 10 people. So me trying to plan fast-passing for 10 different people became a little bit more difficult. You know, I had four people who wanted to do this, five people who wanted to do this, one person who wanted to do that. It becomes a lot more taxing on the person who's doing the planning. So I didn't like that. And as, as, an, as, as a travel agent as well, it becomes a little bit difficult too because I'm spending a lot more time with a client booking their trip. So there's, you know, in that aspect of it, I don't like it. The things that I do like it are is I could just swipe my magic band and purchase something. That's that's great. I love that. You know, just put my four-digit code. I have it, and I'm gone. That makes it really, really simple. The other thing that I don't like about it is that them adding fast pass to everything. Now you have lines on the Haunted Mansion and the Pirates that never had it before. So I don't like that aspect of it, of where there's the lines are a lot longer when you don't have a fast pass. Well, you're Those right. are my issues. You're right in pulling, you're basically pulling away the spontaneity because you're almost forced into this idea of, well, if you don't choose something, you're probably going to wait in a 45 minute line no matter where you go. Right. Um, that's the difficult side of it. You know, it's obviously there's still some attractions where you can be like, oh, let's be spontaneous and go jump on, uh, you know, whatever. But as far as being like, hey, let's be spontaneous and jump over on Soren probably not going to happen anytime soon as things work out and the kinks work out maybe they change not only how but when you can book fast passes and who's allowed to do what that might be a little bit nicer i just feel like the class system on what they have right now especially at you know a few parks that have that class a class b attraction i don't know if that technically works as well as it doesn't work because because i want to go on both test track and soren now when i go i have to choose which one i'm going to go to because i'm not going to go wait 70 minutes for either one to get on an attraction, especially Soren, because that line doesn't move. You can stand there for 20 minutes and you'll be in the same spot. You know, and Test Track breaks down, so now your 70 minute wait can become a two hour wait. So that's another thing that I don't like about it. The tiered system doesn't work for me, it prevents me from really taking advantage of the other attractions in the parks. That's why you are forced to go two days so that you can choose one day Soren, one day. Right. So they've got you that way, but also if you use up your fast passes, you can also get. So if you've done Soren, you know, if, uh, and you do the other two, wh whatever you choose, you can go back and choose Test Track. Am I correct on that? If it's available, yes. If it's available, yes. Yeah, if you've, yeah. Got, if so. you've gone through them. So so even if the park opens at 9, you have a, pass pass, a fast pass between 9 and 10. You have another one between 10 and 11, and another one between 11 and 12. Now at 12 o'clock, you can go get your other fast pass. But the, the chances of the, the fast pass being available for sometime later in the day, you know, at 12 o'clock, that's going to be a little bit harder. Yeah, then, I, I, I yeah. find that to be the case even in, in the off-season, what I consider, you know, September, you know, February time frame. Once those fast passes for the main attractions are gone, they're gone. Yeah. You know, there's, you know the other thing about that is a solo traveler has a huge advantage there. I can, oh, yeah. I can rip through the park pretty quick uh, because, for, do test track, for example, I can go over and hit Soren with a fast pass in the morning, go over and do test track in the single rider line even multiple times. But you're right, it does break down a lot. But I'm in and out of those attractions and moving on 
But if you have a group of eight people like you had, I can't imagine trying to coordinate all that. Yeah, it's not easy, but I mean, you got to work within the system, you know, because that's what's available. So, you know, there's not much you can do. I can't, I'm not going to complain to Disney about it because it's, they're not going to, they're not going to change it because I said I have X amount of people and it was difficult for me to plan. Well, you know, that doesn't matter to them. You know, I'm just a, you know, a small strain of sand in the, the Sahara Desert. So, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, I was was just going to say, um, I took the Ultimate Thrills Tour and I showed up and I was the only one. And the reason I say that is because you walk around with a plaid, and basically you are a VIP guest. Mm-hmm. So I was walking around uh, talking to this guy, and he was telling me that that was the biggest issue they had currently with the FastPass system. He goes, you as a solo traveler have the advantage, even a, a, or two or three people, but when you get into the large groups, and Disney is really struggling with trying to get, you know, like Grandma and Grandpa with the, the, the kids to coordinate all of that and that's right. their biggest challenge so yeah i think disney's hearing that it's just they're, they're just it's hard to respond to it yeah i mean it might just take some time for them to try to figure out what would be best for them yeah i i think that you need to go i mean like if you try to get a fast pass for 10 people i don't want to spend too much time on this but um if you try to get a fast pass for 10 people on say uh god what is an example um uh let's just say the, the seven dwarfs mine train or you know maybe one of the shows that have less uh, you know showings per day. It makes it a lot of di- it's a lot more difficult to get a fast pass for a specific time when you have ten people because they have. If you break it down to six, you might be able to fit into that window. But once you start, to get, if you have ten, you can't fit in anymore. So I think they need to do something with the system where, okay, so you have a fast pass for ten. So it doesn't matter if it's just if you have six or twenty. If you're a group. And there's one allotment in that window. If there's one availability, they should let you all you let you, everybody in there. So I noticed that was an issue too. So they wouldn't allow. I can put two in there for Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, but if I wanted to do ten, it wouldn't happen. So that's another yeah. issue. Yeah. I think you got to give props, and you guys can expand on this too. You got to give props for Disney for listening though, because originally it was three fast passes and you're done. They have they have changed the program some because of guest you know guest feedback. So. Right. Do you think that Disney's at least trying to move in the right direction? Yeah, I agree. I I think we all showed our Disney side, and it was very hateful. And <laughs> they listened, and uh, you know they've definitely fixed some of the things that most people were griping about. Uh, again, there's still bugs. There's still things that are improving. But as you, at least we can see the improvements. You know, it's not like it's just static, and it's like oh, we've been arguing about the same things for a year now. It's like, no, the arguments are different now than they were at the end of 2013. Now we're just seeing different problems, but of course all those problems are going to change no matter what. There's always going to be some kind of problem with technology and with systems. I mean, Sean, you're an IT guy. You know, like, problems never end uh, as, as technology grows. So there's always going to be problems, but at least they're addressing them, which is muy bueno. Yeah, you know, the, the biggest issue I have with the, the whole FastPass thing now is once you're three are done, now you have to go to one of the kiosks to add an, add it to another attraction. If you could do it on your phone, I think it would make it a lot easier because there's it's not fun when you have to go up to that kiosk and there's 20 people, 30 people waiting to use it to add another FastPass for another attraction. You're like, oh, man, you know, I could just do this on my phone. As I'm walking to X attraction, it would be a lot easier than me having to go to one of the kiosks. Yeah, but at least you're not having to make that, you know, like, giant run for it. Uh, you know, when Epcot opened, I mean, the mad dash to get over to Soren is ridiculous. And that's subsided, and uh, hopefully 
you know, as time progresses, like you're saying, they'll add certain things like being able to add the fast pass with your phone. And hopefully these people madly running and trampling over people will. I mean, that's that doesn't happen very often, but that'll completely stop. Yeah, yeah you know what's funny about that is the Magic Kingdom now, uh, if you get there in the morning right away, I don't know if you've been there in a while, uh, any of you guys, but they they hold you back. Uh, there's a group of cast members, and they've basically got the uh, hub shut down, and they let you walk around in there if you get in early, but when the, the, the horde comes in, they take a rope and lead you to either Anna and Elsa or the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. So one strategy that I have as a tour uh, as a turning plan is I want to hit the Seven Doors Mine Train first. So as a family, maybe you want to hit Anna and Elsa, but they're going to take you b- behind the rope and make you walk all the way back. Uh, and then when you get about into the first part of Fantasyland, they just drop the rope and then the mad dash occurs, but it's only, you know, a couple hundred feet as opposed to a clear across the park. Yeah, they've kind of set that up as well over at uh, California Adventure with Cars Land because... Okay. That's the same thing, you know, everybody was wanting to make that mad dash uh, over to Radiator Springs Racers. Now they're holding people back in California Adventures Hub, and then when that mad dash happens in the morning, there's some confusion, yeah, but uh, for the most part there's enough cast members there and a rope that kind of guides you in whatever direction you need to go to where they can kind of figure out things within minutes, if not seconds, you know, before people start calming down figure out their place in line, and it kind of goes away. So that same thing is kind of happening at Magic Kingdom. It's nice to see that instead of people just running to the back of the park. Yeah. This is obviously a hot topic, but I'm going to cut it short. That's too late for that, right? But um, you guys mentioned you brought up the hub, so let's switch gears a little bit to a topic that maybe won't be as uh, hot. Um, The hub change at Magic Kingdom. Uh, you know, Dan, you, you've seen it recently. How do you yeah. feel about the hub change? I mean, well, it's in, under construction still, but... Yeah, it's under construction, but it is greatly needed, and I, I applaud them for doing it. Um, it's uh, There was a point when I was watching Wishes, I, I always get the dessert party. It's a tip I always uh, tell people is get the dessert party to watch Wishes because <laughs> you'll save your life. Because if you're watching in the middle of the hub, uh, and they the, the, the party's over, you have to be very careful. With small children, it's it's a bit scary. And, you know, un- unsafe. So Disney realized that and, and took the time to expand the hub. I've seen pictures of Tokyo Disneyland, and it looks much bigger. Uh, you can tell that in their design, they must have realized that, you know, that was a mistake early on. So, yay. Yay. I'm all for it. Yeah, Tokyo and as well as now the new parks at Shanghai and uh, Hong Kong have much bigger hubs. And they've definitely been able to uh, deal with crowds because of it. Magic Kingdom has had problems with this. I'm glad that they took this on. It's definitely been a huge nuisance over the past year or so uh, because of development there, but I'm not going to complain about it considering that it's going to grow so much and it's going to make not only just fireworks times or parades times, but in general uh, times at the park much more easy to get around to all the different lands. I think that having a bigger hub makes the most sense if you're going to look at the layout of that park and change one thing i would change the hub exactly how they're doing it yeah. next stop oh no sorry no go ahead. i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> well fine if you don't want to hear what i said now, um i agree i mean the crowd control for the hub has been 
looked like a major problem for decades, but it's worse now than it's ever been. Even for, you know, adults and stuff, it gets, like, scary to try and walk around there at the firework times and the parade times. Anything that you can do that doesn't take away from the aesthetics of the park and it still like, helps the flow, traffic, um, I'm all for it. Could also um, ban the uh, like floats and the parades to allow for like bigger floats maybe too. So I was all for it. I'm sure uh, it's a headache while they do it, but once it's done, it'll be a big improvement. Speaking of parades, how about the new fe- uh, Festival of Fantasy Parade that debuted in March this year? You know, going and looking at the Festival of Fantasy Parade, and Keith, you brought up a really good point as far as uh, expanding the hub can actually make parades better in some way. Uh, This parade, I've never been an afternoon parade person. I've always been about the Main Street Electrical Parade or Spectrum Magic, whatever you want to call it. But the afternoon parade with Festival of Fantasy got me excited, got me interested, uh, and the floats look amazing. I love... Uh, how these things look. I love, of course, the dragon that breathes fire. Really cool additions to the park. And as an adult for the first time, I actually want to go see an afternoon parade. And I think with the uh, expansion of the hub, the parades can really only get better at this point. Yeah, Josh, I think you're exactly right. You know, I think the that is the best parade that I've seen um, and in I've not been to Disneyland very much. I was there once, but I really like it. And in talking to the plaid, again, on the, the tour, he was saying that um, they've really not only expanded the you know costuming and the performers, which is just awesome, and the colors in there and the design is just over the top. It's really great. But he also said they went the extra mile to make every possible viewing area pleasing to the guests. So you, there's really not a bad spot to see a parade and a sea of float. For example, some of the floats in the past, if you're standing behind it, you didn't, you, you completely missed it. But these new Festival Fantasy Parade floats have a viewing area kind of 360 all the way around it. So from that aspect, it's it's much better too. Good point. Yeah, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just happy that they've rehashed the same old floats that they've used in the past. You know, it's all new floats for the most part. You know, it's a new a new story, new music that's been created for it. So I'm happy in that respect. That it's I didn't get a chance to see it on my last trip, but I did see some video of it in the past, so I'm happy about that. It's a good thing that they they make changes and they they listen to some of the guest responses and they made the the parade bigger and, and grander and you know like you were saying, Dan, that they they opened it up so people can see it a little bit better from different vantage points. So that's 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 great for everybody, especially small kids or people who are in the back of the the line of the road trying to see everything so kudos to disney for for making the changes so hopefully the next one we get is a as a new nighttime parade yeah yeah speaking of new things uh something else that has changed is polynesian uh, polynesian resort uh, is now the polynesian village resort they've they're in the process of gutting the lobby uh trader sam's is coming to the east coast big big changes are are underway at the polynesian resort I'll go first on that one because I've never stayed at the Poly. I've loved, would love to stay at the Poly. I hope to someday. So I really can't contribute much there. I'll contribute in saying that being a Disneylander, uh, Trader Sam's is the coolest bar. Not that, not just uh, in California, but definitely. I mean, you're talking like Las Vegas style type stuff. I mean, it's just a really fun experience. I spent in the last trip that I was there in May. Uh, I spent some time. Uh, over there and the nice thing about 
uh, Disneyland is that it's so small and intimate, and that bar feels so small and intimate as well. Uh, the problem is that now it's gotten really popular, so I'm hoping that maybe the Disney World version is a little bit bigger and expanded, but I still like I still like that kind of, I don't want to call it a dive bar, but that kind of intimacy in what you really want from a, a bar. You don't want that kind of corporate giant bar feel here. I'm excited to see what they bring to Trader Sam's because it's such a cool place at Disneyland. And then on top of that, the bungalows that they're adding to uh, the lakeside there, I think it would be really cool, especially even if you're not staying at the Polynesian, uh, traveling from either resort to resort or just going back to your car, you know, however you're getting around the lake there, I think that it's going to change the scenery and it's going to look really cool and it's going to make people want to stay there. Similar to like how the tree houses are. I mean, anytime I see those tree houses, I'm like, man, it'd be so cool to stay there. I feel the same way with these bungalows now. The Polynesian is probably one of my favorite resorts to visit because I've never stayed there and I want to stay there. And as a DVC member, I'm, I'm extremely happy that they've added DVC there. So at some point I will stay there, whether it's one night or a or a few days. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to at least spend one night there, especially to stay on the, the monorail route. I've never done that either. So that is, this is something I'm really looking forward to. So from them adding DVC, them upgrading the lobby, you know, I've, I've seen pictures and seen how things are going. I'm really disappointed that the, the waterfall is now gone, but I think once they open it up, I think it's going to make a world of a difference and it's going to, it's going to change your your whole feeling about the resort. You're going to get that open feeling more of like a, a typical Hawaiian resort now. So that I'm looking forward to. I am really looking forward to Trader Sands. I have not experienced it in Disneyland, but, you know, I'm going to be there. You know, whether I go by myself or with my wife, we get a babysitter somehow, that's something I'm really looking forward to trying. Because like you were saying, you know, it's the intimacy. It's, I'm, it's supposed to be small on the smaller side, but I don't know if it's going to be bigger than Disneyland. So... But it's going to be popular. I mean, between from locals to resort guests, this is going to be a tough place to get into. So it might be one of those places where you have to get in early if you want to visit it. Yeah, and I definitely don't see it being a place that's going to have uh, reserved seating or anything like that. There's definitely You just can't have that here. I think that would take away from the concept of Trader Sam's. I know Angie and I went, when we went in May, we sat out on the patio. We spent some time inside the bar because we wanted to see some of the effects. But we sat out on the patio, and it was nice and roomy. Uh, and the cocktails were really good. And they have, I believe, like five or six non-alcoholic cocktails. So if you do want to bring a kid, nobody's going to, I think, worry about it. Especially not in the afternoon. Maybe if it's 11 o'clock at night, they'll be like, please take your kid away from there. But at 3 in the afternoon, you know, if you want to go to Trader Sam's for a cocktail, they definitely have non-alcoholic choices. So I could see that being a popular place for families as well in the afternoon. Well, speaking of alcoholic beverages, everybody grab your beverage of choice because it's probably going to get ugly with this next topic. <laughs> um, we would be remiss to do a year interview show without bringing up Frozen, um, the insane popularity of, of the movie, and then obviously the inclusion in the parks, the meet and greets in Norway, the meet and greets over in the Magic Kingdom, uh, the fact that they're closing Maelstrom to replace it with a Frozen attraction. Uh, it's not a year in review show if we don't talk about it, even though I'm sure a lot of people are tired of hearing about it. But you know, it's obviously the biggest, it might be the biggest news event of the year. Yeah, wow, what a topic. Um, <laughs> uh, I think the Maelstrom thing kind of shocked me. I, I, I thought that, that would, they wouldn't touch that because of the, the, the nature of what Maelstrom is and the park that it's in, you know, and the country that it's in. But I can say this as, as a Disney shareholder 
Frozen has definitely put the company over the top, and they're responding to the typical fan, um, the fan that maybe goes down once every two years, and so it's just difficult for them not to respond in the way they've responded, I think, uh, financially speaking. Uh, as as a Disney Parks fan, it's just a little bit much. <laughs> Everywhere you go, it's frozen. Uh, I was just down there for Christmas, and uh, it's all frozen. You know, they added the float in the parade. But I will say this on the other side of that coin. I did the, the Hollywood Studios Frozen Summer Fun. I thought the parade in the morning was a bit forced. It's like, welcome to Hollywood land. Uh, here's Anna and Elsa. What? I don't get it. What's the point? But they did the sing-along. And I thought that was excellent. It was like a little mini Broadway show. Uh, you could sing along, obviously, and the kids were really into it, and a lot of the adults too. But they told a story, and they had actors out there, and I thought that was well done. Looking at this from a Disney historian point of view, uh, and I've read this several times, so um, I can kind of link back to it. When The Little Mermaid came out in 89, they had no idea that what kind of success they were going to have on their hands. So when The Little Mermaid came out, uh, they didn't even have for that Christmas toys in the stores or for the demand that they had brought into the Disney stores or Toys R Us, wherever, let alone the theme parks. I mean, how long did it take them to put in a dark ride for Little Mermaid? You know, 20 years. They had some things here there, like at the Disney Hollywood Studios, they have the show. For the most part, Ariel's presence in the park really wasn't around for a long time until they could finally figure out where to put her, um, which you can, again, debate whether that was the right choice or not, you know, to put her in the Hollywood studios. But uh, this time around, I think that they were prepared. They, they knew what they were getting into after those first couple of weekends. They said, okay, leading up to Christmas, we've got a lot of momentum going here, so let's try and keep this momentum going. My problem with it is that hey, they put out this new film, Big Hero 6, this year. Nobody's talking about it at all. Yeah, there's the meet and greet in the parks, but, uh, I mean, it's still about Frozen. It's still about Elsa and Anna. It's taken over the parks. It's taken over television with Once Upon a Time, if you watch that show. Uh, It's taken over DVD sales. I mean, for goodness sakes, like, they re-released the DVD or Blu-ray, whatever, in a sing-along version, and we've talked about it on our show before, just turn on the subtitles. It'll totally be the same thing. You know, you don't have to spend another $25 on a Blu-ray, but they're making money. I understand why they're pushing it. I understand why they're adding so much stuff because they're still making money. If it's still selling, why not keep selling it? As an adult, I'm turned off by it. As an eight-year-old girl, I mean, I'm not an eight-year-old girl, but if I was an eight-year-old girl... um, I would be super excited that this new Frozen attraction is coming to Norway. You know, I don't care about Maelstrom. Like, I'm an eight-year-old girl. I hate trolls. I would be excited about that. I'd be excited about sing-alongs, about dance parties, about, you know, meet-and-greets and parade floats and all this stuff. So the marketing isn't for us. As much as I would like to say five adult guys drinking beer, doing a podcast, Elsa totally turns us on, you know, but, like, it's really more for that eight to like 12 year old girl that's really hyped on frozen right now i understand where they're coming from i understand the marketing would i like to see it stop yeah but i would have liked to have seen it stop back in february this is my thing so i'm just upset that i don't get to see more baymax anywhere or more hero you know from big hero 6 i guess it's just already done and over with nails in the coffin for that one 
I do agree. I mean, I saw um, Big Hero 6 and I loved it. The story, the, the characters are fantastic. I think that they really did like, drop the ball in the marketing. Like a Big Hero 6 because of Frozen. Now, the movie itself, I love. I sing the songs. The story was expertly done. It's not your typical like princess prince movie, which I think is is really what did appeal it to adults as well as children. All of us knew that this movie would be huge. Now, we didn't really think that it would get as crazy as it did. I mean, you had people camping out in Norway for meet and greets. I mean, it was insane. I do understand it, understand them, like, putting stuff into the studios. I mean, because, let's face it, that park, like, needed a boost of something. And Frozen brought a ton of people to that park who probably wouldn't have. So, for that part, I get it. Only part that I don't really care for is hit the maelstrom. It's over with and done with. We just have to accept it. Hope it's a good ride. You have to find that eight-year-old girl inside you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, Keith has found it. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> it took a big shovel, but <laughs> I think I found it. Well, I'm sure we could go on about Frozen because, I mean, you know, we could go on and on about this as, as the Disney community has done over the last six months or however long. But we're going to move on. We're going to head back over to the Magic Kingdom and let's discuss the opening, finally, of the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I was so pumped for that. I went down just specifically for the opening day, the, the official opening day. I wasn't there for one of the soft openings, and I know some people got to ride it early. That was fun i mean it was there was an energy in the park there was an excitement about it they of course took us all back with using the rope like i described earlier and when i got back there i was one of the few people for some reason that had gone ahead and got a fast pass for like nine o'clock in the morning when i rolled back into where the the attraction was there were disney dignitaries there there were cast members that weren't normally in the park they weren't in their cast member uniform they were like you know in their suits and ties with note cards, taking notes, and getting uh, feedback from guests. Um, the music was playing. The dwarfs were out. I was lucky enough to use my fast pass and got on real quick without having to wait in that super long line. It was clear back well past the teacups. And the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train ride itself, I think, is excellent. It is probably the best roller coaster as far as smoothness. I think it keeps uh, to the theme. The cave is, is awesome. And every time I'm in there, the whole group starts singing along. The only complaint I'll have is just too darn short. <laughs> they need about another minute of track to experience that moving vehicle uh, and the smoothness of the ride, but home run in my book. I haven't really had a chance to experience this attraction or uh, any of the things going on around it. I haven't even technically been to New Fantasyland yet. It's been a while for me. But when they initially announced New Fantasyland and this being a part of it, or not initially because they announced what was supposed to be here, like Aurora's Cottage, I'm glad they didn't do that. I'm glad that they went this route, and I think that as much as people have griped about, you know, A, the shortness of it, which, yes, it is a little bit shorter, the thrill factor of it, I think that the addition of another e-ticket attraction, the addition of another roller coaster to the Magic Kingdom can only help with, you know, lines in other places, you know, divert that crowd in other different ways, but... The addition of an attraction to another classic movie, they, I know they initially took away Snow White, they brought this back with Snow White. I love the fact that, again, like we talked previously, they focused so much on Frozen this year, but they gave a lot of focus to a classic film. Uh, and I know that 
now going back to the adult versions of all of us, I think that we're more in tune with some of those films that we grew up on, like Snow White, versus some of these newer films like Frozen, even though Frozen was a great film. Uh, I get excited when they pay homage to some of their classic films and some of the things that really brought them to the dance. I'm excited that they not only opened a new roller coaster in Fantasyland, but that they gave on the opening, you know, they brought out the dwarves, they brought out uh, the music, and they kind of overwhelmed you with this Snow White theming, which really they don't ever do. So that's cool. I like it a lot. Awesome. Yep. Good point. What I love about this coaster is that this is really a true family coaster. This is something you can take your young kids on. It's not scary. It's not too fast. It's really smooth. They're not going to be jolted in their seat. This is somebody that you can take who's a little bit older, who you know is a little bit hesitant of coasters, who might have who've liked who might have liked them in the past. You know, because it's it is a smooth ride. They're not getting jerks. You're not gonna you're not gonna come out with back problems. You know, it's not like like Space Mountain where you know Keith has to wear a back brace when he rides it. So, it is it really is a true family coaster. And you know, like Dan had said. The only gripe about it is that it is too short, and it is. But it really isn't because it's almost like a minute and a half or whatever it is. It's short in, in the respect that you want to ride it longer. You don't want to get off it. It's not it's not that time-wise it's too short. It's just that you've enjoyed it so much that you want more. Yeah, and it's a ride. You're right. It's like a good song. You just want to keep doing it yes. and listening to it over and over again. Right. Good exactly. Song. Yeah. I completely agree. I haven't really chimed in on anything, but I'm with you guys on that. Moving, uh, staying in Fantasyland, uh, this just happened uh, about two or three weeks ago, right after I got back from Disney. The new Peter Pan queue has opened. I'm all for different theming. I'm all for upgrading anything from the attraction to the pre-show to the queue, whatever. This is super cool. I like when they do stuff like this, where they take you on a journey before you get on an attraction. Again, being from uh, more of a Disneylander perspective, the coolest queue at uh, Disneyland is the Indiana Jones attraction. You know, you walk into a temple, and automatically you're sucked into these movies. You're playing Indiana Jones. You get to walk through the room with spikes. You get to do all these different things inside this archaeological dig that's going in uh, on inside this temple. And I really love being able to walk into a queue, and right away I feel like I'm not even in the park anymore. You know, like, even though it's so nice to be at a Disneyland or a Magic Kingdom or whatever... To be able to be completely immersed into a story before you're even on the attraction makes it that much better. And for the fact that they added this to Peter Pan, which really they didn't have that much room to begin with anyway, and for an attraction that has such a long line, it's nice to be able to stand in a line where I feel immersed and where I can look at something and be like, oh, hey, look at that. That's so nice to look at instead of uh, a brick wall, you know, waiting to get on the attraction myself. Excellent point. You know, I think that that is what sets Disney apart from that other park down the street and is is the theming. And, and I watched the last time I was in, even said this in my show, when you go into the Tower of Terror, especially the, the younger kids, you watch them, they get so convinced that it's real that it's almost scary for them. Or it is scary for them. And Peter Pan was one of those that was just totally missing the, the setup. It was just a big line with switchbacks, and you'd walk on the attraction. I'm just repeating what you said, Josh, because it's such a good point. But um, <laughs> I, I think the um, the also the elements in there are of the the family, you know, and it has the dog, and it has the parts of the home, and it just really sets up the attraction so that you can fly, you can fly, yes, I can fly, <laughs> and perfect. I, I I think they need to do more of this with uh, new attractions, and I'm sure they will. All right, well, moving on, a little earlier this month, uh, the internet broke, and, and this has nothing to do with Kim Kardashian, but the new Star Wars trailer hit, <laughs> uh, which was obviously huge. Uh, and 
you know, not just the trailer, but also, you know, the casting earlier this year. Uh, everything about the new Star Wars film is, is pretty hot right now. I'm all for Star Wars. I'm really all for any uh, film franchise, Disney or not. I do love... I'm a sucker for, you know, big, giant movies. We're talking about this just right before the very last Hobbit movie comes out. Super excited for that. Got super excited for The Hunger Games. I just get sucked into these worlds. Star Wars has been going for, gosh, almost 40 years now. Is that about right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wow. Uh, Going for about 40 years now, and the stories, the characters, everything about these things is still... A-plus material. I mean, so many people get excited when hear that little droid beep of R2-D2. It's ridiculous. I can't say that I'm a super huge Star Wars fan in general, but I'm excited for uh, what this brings to the table as far as, if you're going to talk about parks, you know, what this brings to the future. It's been announced that uh, what is going to come to the parks will definitely be surrounding what's going on with the new Star Wars films. So my hope is that these films are amazing so that we can get some amazing material coming into the parks. I mean, is there anything really bigger than Star Wars as far as films? I don't think so. Um, I mean, J.J. Abrams has a huge, uh, a huge accomplishment on his shoulders if he can pull this off. It's cool to be able to now in the social media age get little details as they come out versus knowing that Star Wars is coming out and having to wait two years. It just feels like they're feeding little things to us and building anticipation. The trailer coming out, like you said, it broke down Twitter. I mean, it just, people went crazy. And as we get closer and closer to that date next December, uh, it's just going to get crazier. And I think that Star Wars Weekends, Hollywood Studios, I think it's going to get crazy this year. The build-up to it's just going to be massive. And uh, eventually, we're all going to be let down. Oh, oh man. Uh, I, I've been waiting for this topic all night. I, you know, this, it's, Star Wars is the Aerosmith of movies. They, they've survived. You know, they will forever have fans. I think Disney has just got a whole bunch of people working on uh, the studios because they've shut so much stuff down. You know they're planning a Star Wars land, and I think this has the potential to be huge. I think Star Wars land could almost be its own park, and I don't think Disney's going to do that. But can you imagine... Kind of like Cars Land out in, in your, your neck of the woods there, Josh. You walk in, you are there, you're in Radiator Springs, and it, it, it's sum, submersive and awesome. I can't imagine taking my lightsaber, walking through the opening gate of Star Wars, and there I am in Tatooine, and there's the droids, and there's the... the I can go into that restaurant and see all those funky creatures playing the instruments, and the, the attractions they could make out of that. Oh my gosh, it could be just the most amazing place. Now, what does that have to do with the movies? Not a whole lot, except that the movie does have to be a hit, I think. Um, but I think there's so many Star Wars fans that even if it's okay, it'll be a hit. But if it is truly a hit, it's just going to be off the charts. And I am so pumped for the announcement of, of Star Wars Land that I can't see straight because I think it's just going to be... Uh, it's going to revitalize the studios. I don't know what they're going to replace the hat with. If it's a big, giant lightsaber, probably not, but... <laughs> It has the potential to be uh, the Star Wars park. There's so much material and so many attractions you could create with that. We could sit and talk about this all night, but yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm like Dan. I mean, as most people know, like I am a huge Star Wars fan. I've seen, you know, that trailer probably like 20 times, and every time I 
get chills watching it. I think that Disney has done an amazing job with this franchise so far with Rebels and bringing in the old cast. And I know that Star Wars Weekends was huge this past year. I can't you know wait to see like 2015. So anything that Disney you know um, can give us as far as like Star Wars is fine with me. It's like I know lots of non-Disney Star Wars fans that were apprehensive of the takeover and concerned about what would happen. But as soon as they saw that trailer, every ounce of doubt just kind of like melted away. The only thing I'm going to say about Star Wars is that on December 17th, 2015, when I leave work, I'm going to dinner, and then I will be online to see the movie. <laughs> that's, I will be at that midnight showing to see yep. it. So that's, yeah, all, that's all I'm going to say. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> all right. To kind of wrap it up here, um, this last one's kind of going to be kind of a two-parter, really a three-parter. Um, obviously, early this year, the studio celebrated their 25th anniversary, which is a big deal for a theme park. We all know what uh, reputation the studios has in terms of being a, you know, maybe not quite a full day park, uh, and and they've made it even worse by closing the Backlot Tour and closing American Idol, uh, and closing the Captain Jack Sparrow attraction. Uh, but all of that obviously is is built up for a big announcement for 2015. So to kind of wrap it up, you know, discuss the anniversary, the closing of those attractions, and also what are you looking forward to from Disney next year? Not just in the parks, but for the company. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think I, I, I spoke my piece on um, <laughs> the studios. I, I'm pumped for what they, their um, the potential is there, and I think it's twofold, really. There's the whole Marvel side of things, and that in and of itself could be a, a park, and I know Universal has some, some contractual things that they've got them with, but Hollywood Studios needs to be just kind of done over um, and refunk, if you will. I think Star Wars is the best fit for that. Um, I also think that there could be a huge Marvel presence in there, especially with the success of uh, some of the movies that have come out as of recently. I'm, I'm excited just kind of to hold my breath and see what they're going to do with the park. I'll still go there and, and bide my time. But as far as what the future holds, and I want to cut to the chase here because I want to give Josh a chance to respond as well. But a couple things I see when I went to uh, the uh, sorry when I went to the um, Halloween party, I went to the Sinister Soiree, and I thought that was something that Disney is going to explore more. It was like we were talking about earlier. It's a more intimate setting. It's a smaller group. It does cost extra, but the character interactions that I received were very, very fun. Uh, they spent time with you. They played their role very well. I just had a really enjoyable time, um, and I think Disney needs to do more things like that uh, so that you can get into kind of that that more intimate group. So the Harambe Nights was another thing that did kind of lend itself to that. So I know Disney's testing that out and playing with that to see if they're due. The other thing I, I just want to bring up, and this is, could be a topic in and of itself, is when Disney filed for the patent to get drone usage. And I think this could be something that's huge. So what, as I understand it, the, what Disney has requested is the ability to use multiple drones coordinated together to present attractions. So could you imagine during the Halloween party, during Hallowishes, you know, the music's playing, we've got all the villains down in front of the castle, and this, you know, a hundred-foot Jack Skellington comes up, all driven by drones, and they're moving his arms and his legs. Uh, I think the potential there is huge. So I'm very curious as to what Disney filed that patent for and was requesting that uh, permission 
from the FAA to use those drones. They've got something up their sleeve, and it looks pretty cool. So that's where I'll leave it, I guess, and let Josh respond. For me, the Disney Hollywood Studios, <clears throat> we didn't bring it up, but uh, the TCM Disney uh, sponsorship there, adding that to the Great Movie Ride. The Great Movie Ride's been there since day one, since the park opened. It was its initial you know, big attraction besides the Backlot Tour. And I think that rejuvenating that park with the very first ride and kind of giving that uh, some build as well as, you know, not only the possibility of Star Wars stuff going into that park, but what is definitely eventually going to go into that park with Star Wars. Again, with the universal uh, situation with Marvel, when or if that uh, comes to fruition for Disney to be able to add whatever they want in. We didn't even get to talk about what I would explain to most people being like the most surprise hit of the year, not just for Disney, but for anybody is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. I mean, that was such a huge hit for them. And, you know, being able to bring those characters and that world uh, into uh, a Disney's Hollywood Studios would be so cool. Uh, all the Marvel characters in general. When I was at Disneyland and they have the meet and greets with all the different Marvel characters there, Thor and Captain America, people were so excited to meet those characters. They were so pumped. And I saw people from age four to age 84 in line to meet Thor. You know, it was just uh, people get excited about Marvel just as much as they do about Star Wars. I mean, these are some of the biggest, highest grossing films of all time at this point. Uh, of course, what we're going to see next year, like you said, Dan, I mean, the drone thing that came out earlier this year, and it kind of was uh, something a lot of people glazed over, but I think eventually we'll see some of this stuff come to fruition, whether it's because of fireworks shows, castle projection shows, parades, whatever, they can use these drones in such a cool way that we haven't even really thought about yet. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, the technology behind them is incredible enough. You know, imagine what Disney Imagineers can do there. Uh, I don't see that for coming in 2015. I can definitely see that because of the D23 Expo uh, coming up this August 2015. I can definitely see an announcement there for something going on with those, whether it be at Disneyland or Walt Disney World, most likely Walt Disney World. Uh, the additions uh, uh, next year at Disneyland reimagining all of the classic Fantasyland attractions. I love what they're doing there, adding in video imaging, adding in different effects uh, to kind of bring up the technology of this age. Bringing that over to Walt Disney World eventually will be something really cool. And for 2015, I mean, we already talked about Star Wars. Marvel's going to be huge. It looks like uh, it's going to be a really big, huge year for those two franchises. Not necessarily Pixar or Disney. I mean, I can definitely see the Frozen thing continuing into next year. Um, you know, I don't see... I really like what's coming with Pixar and Disney animation, but I don't see those movies being huge successes like Frozen was. And uh, I'm really pumped more than anything for what's coming out uh, in the spring, which is Tomorrowland. I think that film looks really cool. And... I know that Disneyland and Walt Disney World's Tomorrowland definitely needs some loving, so I would love to see some announcements there at the D23 Expo or some uh, work beginning on those areas ASAP. Uh, and maybe the Tomorrowland film will kind of build anticipation for that in the parks. As far as the studios is concerned, I touched on it some. It needs a facelift. I'm glad the hat is leaving. I think that, you know, that will really open up the park 
there are tons of franchises that you can like, put in there. You know, Star Wars, you could band, you know, like Pixar Place. I mean, there's tons of things that you can do there. As far as 15 goes, I am excited for the new evening uh, activities that's being uh, included um, over um, around the Animal Kingdom. I think it's much needed. It's one of my favorite parks, and if I can spend some like, nighttime hours in there and see some shows and get the River of Light show that they talked about, that'll be cool. Um, 60th anniversary um, at Disneyland. I can't wait to see what they do out there. Of course, I won't get to be out there for it, but that's why we have the internet and our friends like Josh. So, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's just... I'll pack tons of stuff. I can't into everything, but it should be an exciting a year for sure. Yeah, for me, for the studios, I'm I'm just excited that change is coming. I don't really care what the change is going to be at this point, as long as something is happening, and it is. You know, from Turner Classic Movies making some minor changes to it, I would like a lot more, like to see updates to some of the um, animatronics that are in there, but so be it at least this is a start and then ripping the back lot out and putting whatever is going to be in there i'm fine whether it's star wars pixar you know like what everybody else said that's great it's a start it's 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 one of those parks that needs some love so i'm glad that's happening as far as 2015 goes i'm really looking forward to the new star wars movie i'm really looking forward to new um, avengers 2 i'm really looking forward to the uh, polynesian uh, changes that are coming you know trader sam's and the dbc so i'm hopefully you know, maybe on my next trip, whether it be next year or the year after that, I can spend a night or two at the Poly. That is something that I'm really looking forward to. So for me, that's it. That's like, the, those are like the big things that, you know, that I can't wait to happen for 2015. Alan, what are your thoughts? I feel like we really haven't heard much from you today. Yeah. Well, I was, I was the moderator, so I really didn't have much to put in there. Uh, basically, you guys covered it, so I don't really have much to add. <laughs> Only because... Uh, I think everybody everybody did a really good job with, with what we talked about. Now, obviously, there's a lot that we didn't cover. Uh, we could talk for hours and hours and hours and not cover every major event uh, or even the minor events that, that Disney announced this year. But we don't have that much time. Our listeners don't have that much time. So, unfortunately, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, but, obviously, if you guys have listened to our show, you know that every time we have a guest on the show, we do the Tiki Lightning Round. So I'm going to turn it over to Sean to put you guys to the ringer for the Tiki Lightning Round. All right, guys. Uh, first of all, thanks a lot for coming on the show. And uh, we enjoyed having you on here. So let's get right to it, the Tiki Lightning Round. Everybody gets the same exact five questions, no matter who they are. Um, question number one, Dan, you take, the, you take it, and then um, Josh, you can answer the answer after he does. Favorite snack? Favorite snack is the waffles over at Sleepy Hollow. Basically, I like anything from Sleepy Hollow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are we talking uh, Disneyland, Disney World? Doesn't matter. Any one. Doesn't matter. Any one. Doesn't matter. Oh, man. Uh, you know, churros. Churros is always big for me. My uh, man. I know. I'm sure. <laughs> I freaking love them. I can't get enough of them. Yeah, also, I mean, I'm a huge coffee addict, so I don't know if you would consider it a snack or anything, but uh, I can't go a day without having a cup of coffee, and uh, I'm not a huge Starbucks person, so dropping by any kind of kiosk or something and grabbing just a Disneyland cup of coffee... Good for me. Also, pickles. Pickles. I love pickles. I don't know why. Wow. <laughs> uh, favorite attraction? Favorite attraction for me is the Hollywood Tower of Terror. I love the theming. Every time I walk into the lobby, it's like it's 1930 again. Uh, I love the uh, attraction itself. You know, the free fall is <laughs> exhilarating to say the least. And I think it's just a, a top-notch attraction from soup to nuts, from theming all the way to experience. Love it. 
I would say Disneyland would be Space Mountain over at Walt Disney World, something that I'm always afraid that is going to go away. So Carousel Progress. Ah, awesome. I have to watch. I have to see it at least once every trip, no matter what. Favorite character. My favorite character is Pluto because he is Disney. He's Disney's. He is Mickey's dog, and he is loyal, uh, a fun-loving guy. Uh, Elsa because Elsa. Geez, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's a really hard one. Uh, what are my favorite? You know, I'm just gonna say Donald Duck. I think I relate more to Donald Duck more than any of the other kind of Fab Five characters. So I'll go with Donald Duck. We have a lot in common, Josh. Turos, Donald Duck. <laughs> Favorite movie, Disney movie. Oh gosh, Frozen. No, um, favorite <laughs> Disney movie. You know, I want to say Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Interesting. That um, I love that film. It yeah. was a surprise to me. I went to see it thinking it'll be okay, but I was really, really excited about that in the future. Uh, that 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 whole movie has uh, that, that whole character base has to hold. But there's so many. Gosh, uh, I. Yeah, I'll just say that. <laughs> I have two, I guess. Uh, Adventures of Mr. Toad and Ichabod Crane and The Three Caballeros. Pack- I'm a package film sucker, so. Yeah, very good. Two for one, two for one. <laughs> All right, your favorite Disney park memory. My favorite Disney park memory has to be when um, my wife and I and my daughter I talked about was adopted. We She went down to buy tickets and just kind of nonchalantly said it was our daughter's birthday. We went off to the parks and didn't have any idea that they thought anything about it. Came back to our room and it was just decked out with balloons, stuffed Minnie Mouse, um, stickers, glitter on the floor. It was just a real touch of Disney magic. Mine, uh, Alan, we're going to be best friends again here. Uh, I, yes, proposed Disney, I proposed at Disneyland uh, over the summer. It has to trump anything, not only in Disney memories, but probably in my life. Scared out of my mind, and all day, uh, I I wanted to propose at Disneyland next to the wishing well there. All day, I mean, there was a large crowd. They were having character meet and greets. They closed it down because of the parade, because of the fireworks. I couldn't get over there at all, and eventually it was like 9.30 at night, and we went in May, early May, so the park closed at 10, so I only had 30 minutes to propose. We ended up standing over there. There was a few other people over there, but I kind of pulled her out of the way a little bit of those people and and proposed. And then we were hoping, we bought into the, what would be the memory maker, I guess, at Walt Disney World, you know, the uh, photo pass. So I was thinking all day, I was like, well, there'll be a, you know, somebody to have a camera over there and to take a picture. Uh, Of course, it's 930 at night and it's dark, so there's no cameras. So our first picture as a couple getting engaged is the picture you get on Space Mountain. I always am excited to tell people that our first picture was from Space Mountain and her hand is up and I'm pointing at it and uh, it's just a funny little picture and it's just a cool little moment in time that we had together. Awesome guys, those are some some great memories. You know, both of you guys have some uh, great choices, some food choices, movie choices, so uh, you know, we appreciate that. So thank you. And uh, thank you for coming on the show as well. Uh, Before we wrap it up, uh, take this time to promote your shows your podcast your twitter facebook instagram myspace tinder whatever it is you do (laughs) (laughs) Ah, i haven't thought of that one yet um you can find me this is dan at wdwparkhopper.com and there you can find my twitter email uh instagram the whole nine yards no tinder though i haven't got that Ah, well 
but yeah, podcast is all about in-park experiences like you, you said earlier. So um, if you're ever in the park or will see that I'm at the park, I'd love to uh, hook up with you and maybe we could re- record some ride experiences together. That'd be great. Uh, my name is Josh Taylor, and I am from ModernMouseRadio.com. You can find our podcast there, uh, as well as all my other social media stuff. Uh, we've got videos, podcasts, articles, pictures, merchandise, all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, so be sure to check out our website there. If you want to follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, my handle is at ModernMouseJosh. So I'm pretty easy to follow there. Excellent. Well, thank you guys both for coming on. Uh, we really uh, we had a good time talking with you, and, and hopefully you guys will come back and uh, do another show with us sometime in the future. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week. Be sure to let us know what you thought of the show. You can comment in the notes over at EnchantedTikiTalk.com. You can email us at podcast at EnchantedTikiTalk.com, and you can leave us a message on the Tiki Talk hotline, which is 256-4MY-TIKI. That's 256-469-8454. Be sure to show us your tiki side by calling in from the park. Like us on Facebook. Check out our store over at redbubble.com. Check us out Thursdays at 11 a.m. on V24 Radio. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at Tiki Talk Podcast. Lastly, if you enjoy the show, please take the time to rate us on iTunes. And you can find me on Twitter at One Minute Disney Dream. That's one M-I-N, Disney Dream, and MouseWorldVacations.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Dole Whip Daily. And you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm at Norman Bates. That's N-O-R-M-N-B, the number eight and the letter S. Thanks for listening this week. For Sean and Keith and our special guests, Josh and Dan, I'm Alan, and this has been Enchanted Tiki Talk. Aloha. I was going to say, we're all talking, but Josh isn't, so maybe we lost him. Hold on. Can you hear me? No. We can. Can you hear us? Hello? 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 Hello, Josh. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. I'm having some problems.